So today we begin working our way back toward observing the uh, life of uh, Jesus as recorded in the uh, Gospel of uh, Matthew. Uh, for those of you who have been attending FBC for six months or less, we hit pause at the end of Matthew uh, 12 uh, back on November uh, 20th. Uh, some of you who have been with us longer have been wondering if we would ever get back to uh, the Gospel of Matthew and some of you who have been here since we uh, started in Matthew back in April of uh, 2021 may be wondering if we're ever going to get finished. So we resume following, watching, and listening to Jesus with the block of parables that we find in uh, Matthew uh, 13, 1 through uh, 52. However, before we uh, dive right into the uh, first uh, parable, we need to uh, lay some groundwork uh, today and next Sunday because the parables are distinct from other literary uh, forms that we uh, find in uh, Scripture. So here are two examples of those uh, other literary uh, forms. On the left, on these there were uh, six Levites, on the north four daily, on the south four daily, and at the storehouse two by two. At the par bar on the west, there were four at the highway and two at the par bar. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers of the sons of Korah and the sons of Merari. On the right, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the uh, first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with uh, new wine. Now, can anyone tell me which uh, book of the Bible is represented in the uh, scripture passage on the right? Excuse me? Markel, come on, you should recognize that one. Proverbs on the right, very good. How about the one on the left? It is in the Bible. Leviticus? Nope, not Leviticus. Numbers, good guess, wrong. Deuteronomy, wrong again. Exodus, wrong. Ezra, wrong. Nehemiah, wrong. Okay, how, how many of you are, are reading through the uh, Bible on a regular basis? Okay, Eileen, what is it? First Chronicles 26. Thank you. So as we read through scripture, we recognize that not all books of the Bible read the uh, same, and sometimes even within books of the uh, Bible, uh, there are differences, there are shifts between styles. And if we don't pay attention to those uh, shifts, we can get really confused. This one's easier. 
Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Very good. You guys are going to get this. On the right, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Psalm 91, very good. Okay, we also recognize that uh, in addition to having different uh, literary uh, forms, many passages use figures of speech for poetic reasons or to help us comprehend things that are immaterial or beyond our ability to understand. We take scripture literally when it is clearly uh, speaking literally. When we encounter a figure of speech, we should stop and ask what that passage is trying to tell us about something beyond our ability to grasp. If we take the figurative passages literally, it could cause serious theological problems. In John 4, uh, Jesus says that God is spirit. If God is spirit, how does he cast a shadow? Huh? And does he really have wings and feathers? God is not a chicken, and no Melissa Barker, he is not an e eagle either. God is not a bird. So, you know, this is figurative uh, language that tells us something about the God that we cannot even begin to imagine. Likewise, faithfulness is intangible. And so when the psalmist says that God's faithfulness is a shield, that's telling us something about something that, that we can't really uh, put our hands on. Which brings us to the parables. The root meaning of the uh, Hebrew word mashal and the Greek parabolon has the idea of laying two things side by side, parallel. One of the things being concrete, something that's visible, tangible, and the other one, something that's abstract, immaterial, it's real, but it's invisible, it's intangible. 
laying these two things side by side for the purpose of helping us understand that which we cannot hear, touch, or see. Hold that thought. Now, you may have to hold it until next week, <laughs> which means you'd better be back here next week. So why this morning's reading from 2 Samuel? Why the video clip? Well, there are a number of reasons. Um, first is to demonstrate that uh, Jesus was not the first one to use parables. We uh, find uh, parables being used in uh, the Old Testament long before the uh, time of Jesus. As a matter of fact, parables go back at least as far as the book of Numbers. And Ezekiel, if we look at Ezekiel, is loaded with parables. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping by, tri by tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse, Hebrew, Masalo, and said, The oracle of Be Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, Falling down, yet keeping his eyes uncovered, how fair are your tents, O Jacob. Now, Balaam, Balaam is looking at uh, Israel's encampment, so in, you know, tents, that makes uh, sense. Going on, uh, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like uh, cedars beside the waters. How does he get rivers, gardens, cedars, aloes out of a bunch of tents? You know, something tangible laid aside, something that is intangible. What was that intangible about the camp of Israel that we see in those comparisons? And no, I'm not going to answer that question. On the right, Caden, I'll try not to gross you out with this. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt, nor even uh, wrapped in uh, cloths, no eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants in the field, okay? Newborn cast into the field, now the field is uh, being planted. 
Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair was grown, yet you were naked and uh, bare. Now, at this point, Mrs. Bobbitt would be uh, uh, pulling out her red pen, marking mixed metaphor all over the place. Ezekiel is not talking about a, a slimy, bloody newborn or about a, a field covered with uh, plants, or about an adolescent girl. He's talking about Jerusalem. But somehow, these mixed metaphors tell us something about the intangibles of the way that God looks at uh, Jerusalem. So because parables were in the Hebrew uh, scriptures for centuries, before Jesus came on the scene, his predominantly Jewish audiences would have been familiar with this literary form. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, occasionally ties the subject matter of some of his uh, parables uh, back to Old Testament parables. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it by the, with the uh, choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced worthless ones. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. As we seek to understand the parables, do you think it would be helpful to be familiar with the Old Testament? That was a wasted question. We've been talking about uh, parables, so what exactly is a parable? You and I will be encouraged to know that the uh, scholars who write the commentaries are not in full agreement. What is a parable? An elusive narrative which is told for an ulterior purpose. Mrs. Bobbitt, does that make sense to you? Oh, good. At its simple, simplest, a parable is a metaphor or a simile. Now, from what I remember from middle school uh, English, if it uh, is introduced by the weak word uh, like or the word uh, as, it's probably a simile. Okay, good. It's still there after all these years. Drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt 
about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Are those definitions uh, helpful? Okay, I, I'm getting some mixed answers. Um, now, for those of us who are not theologians, and I never graduated uh, from a seminary unlike uh, Pastor Faye, and I never attended uh, uh, E. Cola Bible School like uh, Tom Hall, and I never took a course in uh, systematic uh, theology uh, like uh, Joe Stenkamp. So all the rest of you non-theologians out uh, there, I'm with you. I've also never attempted to uh, teach uh, English literature to middle schoolers. So for those of us uh, who are ignorant, uh, what is a, a parable? I am going to suggest that a parable is basically a story. Some are fairly long and complex. Some of the uh, parables we will be looking at are very short, as in a single verse. I will further suggest that we might consider those very short parables something along the lines of the story prompts that Mrs. Bobbitt used to uh, give my uh, children when uh, they were in her middle school English class. It's the uh, start of a uh, story, and it leaves us in suspense. So as we approach the uh, parables in uh, Matthew uh, 13, we will be hearing Jesus telling stories. As a matter of fact, as we listen to the uh, stories, we may realize that these are not the very first parable stories that Jesus has uh, told. We've already run into uh, some in uh, the book of Matthew, and no, I'm not going to give you a list. You have to uh, come up with that on your own. And if we really want to uh, go digging into uh, parables, there are at least 20 that are found in the other Gospels that aren't in uh, Matthew at all. So when we get to the uh, end of Matthew uh, 13, do not say, oh, I've heard all the uh, parables, now I can quit. No, you can't. To help his audience better understand his message, Jesus tells stories. Remember, parable, something tangible laid side by side with something intangible. He tells stories about houses, houses built on uh, sturdy uh, foundations, houses uh, built on uh, flimsy uh, foundations, houses divided, houses uh, broken into. He tells uh, stories about sheep lost and found. He uh, tells at least one uh, story about goats. He uh, tells stories about vineyards, the uh, people who own them, the people who rent them, and the uh, people who work in them. He tells stories about trees. He tells stories about slaves. He tells stories about uh, stewards, faithful stewards, unfaithful uh, stewards, wise stewards, uh, uh, foolish uh, stewards, and at least one about a crooked steward. 
He tells uh, stories about uh, rich folks, about poor folks. In short, Jesus tells stories about all sorts of things and all sorts of people familiar to his audience. This brings us to one of the first challenges regarding the uh, parables. Jesus and his audience lived somewhere in first century Palestine, most often in uh, first century uh, Galilee. You and I live in 21st century Crook County. First century Galilee was uh, rural. Uh, Crook County is still rural, but we've got uh, Facebook up there on the Rim Rock. First century uh, Galilee was agrarian. Now we still have a few farmers and ranchers uh, in uh, Crook County, but most of us uh, left the farm uh, one or two generations ago. We may not uh, care for the folks in uh, Portland or the government in uh, Salem, but we are not living under military occupation by a foreign imperial power. Remember from uh, Matthew 8 that uh, there was at least one Roman uh, centurion uh, living there in, or stationed uh, there in uh, uh, Capernaum and uh, his court cohort. Let's could uh, go on. Point is that the uh, stories that uh, Jesus was uh, telling in Matthew 13 made sense, at least on a uh, superficial level, to his audience. Because Jesus spoke from his contemporary culture to his contemporary culture. The uh, second and related uh, challenge is to avoid reading our culture back into the parables. We live in a uh, highly individualistic uh, society. For the folks in uh, Jesus' audience, uh, community and extended uh, family meant much more than we could even comprehend. They lived in a, a subsistence economy. We live in a, a consumerist uh, society. We are told that we deserve more and more of the best and the newest. If we're not satisfied with a, a product, we uh, buy something else. We have the ability to do that, and maybe often the uh, desire. If we don't like the uh, service at one establishment, we take our business elsewhere. And as we watch the leading economic indicators, we understand that if we don't uh, continue buying, 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 we're going to wind up in a recession. We are pragmatists, whether or not we've ever read uh, William James. We look for what works, and we want to know how it works. And if it doesn't work, why bother? We are an impatient culture. 
We want higher speed internet. Our attention span is now measured by the duration of a TikTok video or a Twitter tweet. I could keep going, but I won't. As we come to the parables of uh, Jesus' recorded in uh, Matthew 13, there are two dangers we must immediately recognize and endeavor to overcome. The uh, first, because we've been exposed to the parables so many times before, we assume, number one, we already know the content, and number two, there is nothing in them we don't already know. Our eyes scroll over the page, but our thoughts are elsewhere. Yes, I've uh, caught myself doing that uh, this past few weeks as I've been uh, prepping for this uh, sermon. In essence, we are no longer listening, we are no longer really listening to what Jesus is actually saying. And friends, I will suggest to you that if we have stopped listening to Jesus, we are in deep trouble. Second, because we are pragmatists in a hurry, we want to skip over the story and go straight to the bottom line. What's the uh, point here, Jesus? What do I need to do to live a happier, healthier, more prosperous life? Well, maybe skip the uh, prosperous because that's prosperity gospel and we don't want to go there. How do I improve my relationships? How can I be more fulfilled? How can I raise better kids? What causes should I support and which should I oppose? Furthermore, because we have heard so many sermons on the parables, we already know the answers to those questions, so we can just tune out. So how do we overcome these uh, dangers? First, remember that these are uh, stories. Remember that at least at a superficial level, the stories would make sense to Jesus' immediate audience. We might have more uh, uh, difficulty, but at least the folks who are listening to him understood the uh, superficial level. They probably recognized the uh, stock character, characters. See, stock characters, there's another uh, phrase from uh, middle school English. Uh, we might not. They would be familiar with the uh, cultural setting. We might need to do some digging. If the plot of the story took an unexpected turn, Jesus' audience probably could have picked up on that easier than we can. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed 
that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Dropping down in the uh, passage. And he said to the bystanders, take the mine away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Okay. Where we read this and it's like, wait a minute, I thought there were uh, three slaves, not ten, and I thought that one received five talents and the second one two talents and the third one one talent. Um, that's a similar parable in uh, Matthew uh, 25. This is out of Luke 19. Did we feel along with the uh, bystanders a little bit uneasy about the nobleman's total disregard for basic, good old, all-American fairness? And where did the uh, bit about uh, slaughtering uh, all those rebels come from? Would it help if I told you that each new Herod had to travel to Rome to be approved by Caesar as the new king. That when Archelaus, remember him uh, from earlier in Matthew, that when uh, Joseph heard that uh, Archelaus uh, was uh, ruling in uh, Judea in his father's uh, place, that it's like we'd better uh, go to uh, Nazareth instead that uh, when Archelaus went to Rome to receive his appointment, the people of Galilee actually did send a delegation seeking a uh, veto from uh, Caesar Augustus, and that on his return, uh, Archelaus did have them slaughtered. Does the uh, parable make more sense now? Okay. Another one. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a uh, steward. Wait a minute, what's a uh, steward? And this uh, steward was uh, reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear? Give an account of your uh, stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, 
what shall I do since my master is taking the uh, stewardship away from me? And he summoned each one of his uh, master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much did you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And his master praised the unrighteous steward. What's with that? Is this standard first century accounting procedure? And what's a uh, steward anyway? Now we know that uh, cruise ships have uh, stewards and we uh, remember Denethor II, the, uh, second, the uh, 26th uh, steward of uh, Gondor from uh, Lord of the uh, Rings, but is that the same thing as the uh, steward that uh, Jesus is talking about here in Luke 16? Have we ever bothered to ask? And is the master's commendation the outcome that we were expecting. Now I could uh, throw out more examples, but I'm hoping that these will be sufficient. Would you agree that Jesus' parables might be just a little bit complex sometimes? Thank you, Caden. Is this a surprise? I know that's another wasted uh, question. Uh, do we really believe that Jesus is completely divine and completely human? Okay, a few of you do. Being completely uh, divine, completely human, that is just a little bit uh, complicated. Do we really believe that Jesus created all things, that he sustains all things, and he understands why the angular momentum of the muon is a little bit different from what we expected. Okay. So if what we believe about Jesus really, really is true, should we be surprised that he is capable of putting a little bit of nuance and a little bit of uh, subtlety into his stories? Did his audience get everything on the first pass? Are we going to get everything on the first pass? We should be reading his stories closely, and we should be reading them carefully. Now, for the uh, second danger. Because we uh, think we are totally uh, familiar with the uh, stories and because we have heard so many uh, sermons, including this one, on the uh, parables, we also think we know what the uh, stories really mean. And we think that the meaning is what really matters. We can toss the uh, story as unnecessary fluff. Jesus, listen, I'm crazy busy right now. I need to get on with whatever, get to the point, get to it quickly so I can be done with this uh, parable and move on. If the story was unnecessary fluff, why did Jesus even bother telling it? The danger is that we need to 
immediately step back from what we thought we knew about uh, the parables in uh, Matthew uh, 13 and actually pay attention to the uh, story. Um, of all the parables that Jesus told, he only explains two. And they happen to be the first two that uh, we run into in Matthew uh, 13, which means that uh, we're going to encounter the second danger right out of the uh, gate. Now, two weeks from today, Joe Stancamp is going to be uh, walking us through Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Two weeks from uh, today is also in the uh, thick of the uh, Memorial Day weekend. So two weeks from right now, you are going to be uh, tempted to skip the uh, story, because after all, we're, we all already know what the uh, story is all about, and uh, come back on uh, June 11th and June 18th when uh, Joe walks us uh, through the explanation of the uh, story, because after all, it is the explanation that really uh, matters, and we can uh, discard the uh, uh, parable. Again, if the story in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, doesn't really matter, why did Jesus waste his uh, breath? I would strongly encourage you to be here two weeks from uh, today to listen to uh, Joe as he unfolds the uh, story for us. So let's wrap this up. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him, teacher, which is the great uh, commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost uh, commandment. Uh, how many of you have heard that uh, preached recently? Okay, Carl was here last week. Yay. Uh, for the rest of you, um, Go on to YouTube and uh, watch the uh, sermon. It, it was really worth uh, uh, hearing. So how many of us really honestly believe that this is the most important uh, commandment? Okay. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, Tom. How many of us live as though it were really the most important thing we could be about? How many of us really believe that Jesus is God? How many of us really believe that uh, Jesus deserves to be addressed as Lord? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir to all things, through whom also he made the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many of us really believe that Jesus is the ultimate 
messenger. Okay. How many of us really believe that Jesus is the ultimate message? That one's going to require a little bit more thought. If these things are true, do we dare disregard the stories he tells us? Do we dare assume that we knew that we already know everything that he has to say, that there's nothing else that we could possibly learn from him? Folks, as we uh, begin walking our way through the parables, we need to listen closely, we read, need to read carefully, and if we do so, we just might find the ultimate message in the stories he tells. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for telling the uh, stories that we're going to be looking at in uh, Matthew uh, 13. Thank you for giving us concrete examples of things that we cannot even begin to grasp. Holy Spirit, we uh, pray that uh, we would be submissive to you, that we would be obedient to you, that we would hear what Jesus actually has to say, not what we just assume that uh, he has to say because we've heard it again and again and again for years and years and years. As we come to the parables, we pray that you would open our eyes to recognize you for who you really are and to live in conformity to what you say. Amen.